0: Welcome to the Diocesan Digest, a news outlet for the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma. I'm your host, Sarah Smith, Staff Associate for Church Growth and Development. In these short episodes, we will share the latest news, ministry stories, clergy, spotlights, and much more about the Diocese of Oklahoma each week. If you or your congregation wants to share a ministry story or other important news item, or even a particular topic you want to see covered on the podcast, please contact me at ssmith at epiok.org. A few announcements before we jump into the interview this week. The Bishop Search Survey results are in you can find the link to that document on our diocesan website under the Our Diocese tab, and then click on Bishop's Search, and it will be the first button you can click on the page. Or you can find the link on any of our social media sites. Also, there are still spots available in the Multi-Generational Family Weekend at St. Crispin's, which is happening August 9th through 11th. Links to that event are on our website under the News and Events tab, and then click on the Events Calendar. All right, folks, in this episode, I had the pleasure and the privilege to speak with the Reverend Canon Tony Moon. Tony is a doctor of education, a retired counselor, psychologist, a priest, and serves as the canon advisor to the diocese. Tony is an exceptional talent to our church and an all-around great human being. In this episode, we chat about his upbringing in the Catholic Church, his path to priesthood, and his love of carpentry as a spiritual practice. Here's Ken and Tony. Canon Tony, you're the first person I'm highlighting of getting to know people at the diocese. And just you as a person and your function here. And people need to know who you are. You know what I mean? You're the man so let's start with what's your background where are you from where'd you grow up what's your spiritual and religious background those types of things okay
1: all right well thanks sarah um well i grew up in blackwell oklahoma i'm from a large catholic family so that's north central oklahoma by punk city punk was the large town that we went to whenever we wanted to go to a big city um uh, like I said, I'm a grip Catholic and uh, uh, stayed that way for a long time. And then, but I, as I kind of got into college and I started becoming a little less enchanted with the uh, Catholic Church, especially around not ordaining married men. And I didn't even think as far ahead as ordaining women at that time. So, um,
0: okay so in college where where did you go to college and what did you study and I know you did graduate work so what was what was that like and when did you become an Episcopalian okay.
1: um, well let's see I uh became Episcopalian when I was probably about 30 yeah around 30 uh started going to St. Paul's and that was um just to uh, uh, actually listen to my ex-wife sing. She was in the choir there. And, um, but then come to find out they had these great preachers there. Hal Greenwood was there as a very young man and um, other, other people. And uh, Dean Back soon arrived on the scene. And uh, I really enjoyed that and, and started getting really much more connected with that. Uh, that marriage didn't last, but, uh, my connection with the Episcopal church did. Uh, Dean back even, uh, invited me. Uh, he walked across the parking lot one day when he saw me at at the mall and invited me to come to church there. And he said the church was large enough for the both of us to be there, uh, which was very touching. Uh, and I really admired him. Uh, ever since that, just so much. Um, He was um, presiding one day, and as as we were walking out of the church, uh, he uh, was standing there, and he had this huge smile on his face greeting people. And I just thought, I need more of that in my life. And I was in a really kind of bad spot at that point in time. And and, uh, so that made a huge impression on me. So you never know what might touch people. You know. uh, and then uh, as far as college goes, I I just went to uh, Northern Oklahoma College in Tonkwa my first year. Uh, my um, uh, SAT scores were so horrible
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> that uh, I could have gone to a state school, but I would have been on probation, I think was what I recall, and so I could go to a, a junior college, and that would be okay. So I went there, and I was an art major. Um, I uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do in life, and and I just kind of came to this reckoning of, well, what can I do? I mean, what are what you know, kind of a a skills assessment in a way, like what can I do? And I thought, well, I can draw. I I I can draw really well and and so I can do that and I thought well so why not major in art and uh uh, so I I did that and uh graduated from uh Central State College uh, University I guess is what it was called at that time with a bachelor's degree in art education I did my art uh, uh student teaching as a senior and um uh, knew right away that that's not what I wanted to do. <laughs> so, so I, went, I laid out of school for a couple of years and then went back and got a master's degree in counseling psychology and, and then got licensed and worked in that field for quite a long while. Uh, at one point though, I, I really started feeling the emotional weight of that work and, um, uh, decided that I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to, carry that burden uh, always so I um, uh, went back to school and got a doctorate in education and focused that work on human performance improvement and uh, organizational uh, development and did consulting for a large uh, healthcare organization in Oklahoma for a lot of years until I quote unquote retired that's a whole other story
0: so is your art your degree in art and interest in drawing where does the wood making stuff come in when did you start getting into that because that's one of the first things I've learned about you is that you're a heck of a carpenter and craftsman you've done a lot of different things for different churches like a, and you even made can susan her um what is that called the crozier it was beautiful like Really neat, like random fact. It's like you're the real modern-day Jesus almost.
1: (laughs) Oh, gee, I'd never thought of that. (laughs) Talk about carrying a burden. (laughs) Um, Well, my dad was a a woodworker, and uh, he worked at the local flour mill in Blackwell, and he made um, airtight uh, shafts to, to shoot grain down through and they weren't just good, they were airtight, and uh, sifting cabinets to make the flour in that flour mill, and all that was handmade, uh, and he, you know, in those days, really didn't use, I mean, a table saw, but other than that, most everything was, you know, like, no routers were even invented yet, so it was all planes with uh, little notches cut out of them, the to make you know, particular kind of joints and things like that. So we always had a wood shop at home out in the garage, and I always enjoyed playing around with that and making different things, you know, like a new truck bed for my little toy truck and stuff like that. And, and so it was always a, a way to play, I think. Um, so I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to retire early, and I knew that I wanted to do some kind of creative work, and i was trying to decide what and i did a coaching session with a guy where i was the client and i was being coached and and i was talking about this issue and i mentioned an interest in woodworking and this guy just kind of exploded and said that's you know awesome and and being in the church if you you know if you let it be known that you do woodworking you'll never have a moment's rest the rest of your life <laughs> so uh so I did. I started collecting uh, tools and machines, and built up a really nice wood shop. And uh, then word started getting out. And uh, I remember one of the early pieces. Uh, I we have this have this um, altar at St. Crispin's, and it was kind of just made out of two by fours, and it was uh, apparently serviceable, and they could take it outside and whatnot, but. It sure wasn't very pretty or elegant. And uh, so uh, pretty early on in Bishop Ed's uh, time here, I said, Bishop Ed, if I uh, were to make an altar and donate it, uh, what would you think? And he said, if you were to make an altar and donate it, I'd take it. <laughs> and so I did. Uh, made an altar and took it out to St. Crispin's. Um, yeah, I've made a lot of pieces. Uh uh, for, uh, you know, different churches in the diocese and, uh, each one of them is a pretty special and to be commissioned to do those things is, uh, just an, um, uh, quite an honor, I think. Uh, so I was try to live up to that. And, um, uh, as I've, done woodworking I you know initially started out just doing a lot of cabinet work and things like that for my kids but uh, as time has gone by it's just been more and more pronounced that what I really do is liturgical artwork for different churches and uh, processional crosses and um, uh, I can you know just off the top of my head think of Three of those that I did: uh, two for Episcopal churches, one for a Methodist church, and and just you know, candle stands and just different you know things. So that's that's really cool to to be able to do that. And uh, I didn't really think about this until I sent a picture to my younger brother and uh, uh, of a piece that I had finished, and and he said, uh, you know, they will have that for a hundred years. And it was like oh my gosh they sure will mm-hmm. you know uh and that's just kind of incredible to get to live on that way in the life of the church even after I'm gone so
0: so that's pretty cool that's awesome thanks for sharing that I love that It's like a one of your gifts and talents you give to the church that's such a beautiful thing and mine is like making graphics and (laughs) videos and podcasts now so it's really cool to see people's gifts being used in such beautiful ways um how about your path to ordination I mean obviously your background being a counselor and psychologist is super fitting to be in the priestly role but what was it that made you think hey maybe I ought to think about priesthood
1: well when I was uh really young and and uh, I well, even farther back than that, when I was in the fourth grade, I think, is when being a priest really first kind of dawned on me that that was, you know what I wanted to do. I was in Catholic grade school and there was a big push for uh, vocations, they called it, and then send that. send those people to uh, foreign lands, mm-hmm. so to be missionaries. Mm-hmm. So I knew that as soon as I mentioned being, uh, that I had an interest in being a priest that they would the church would you know swipe me away from my mother and I'd never see her again uh, that they would send me to africa <laughs> and that was really my thinking, and so I just didn't say anything about that for the longest time and um then uh you know later i I still was entertaining thoughts of that, but I also knew that I really wanted to be married, and the two just weren't copacetic i went to visit the campus chaplain who was Roman Catholic and, and, and he kind of reared back in his chair and lit his pipe and said, you know, what would you like to talk about? And I said, I'd like to talk about becoming a priest. And he got really excited. And then I said, and I'm married and he got really not excited (laughs) and said, well, maybe you could be a social worker. So that was the end of that conversation. It was just disheartening to me. Um, I, I do think that God had a plan in this, though, and because I do see the Episcopal Church as being much more compatible with my own personality and beliefs. And, and so, you know, I'm, I, I can't look back. I mean, that's a—but—so that's, that's uh, um, that was a little disheartening. I, I didn't uh, go into social work. I went into psychology— and i really did that as a form of ministry uh, uh so i worked in a uh clinic for a large part of that time that i did counseling worked in a clinic that looked like a public clinic it was actually a private facility but it was funded largely by uh state and city funds and so in federal grants so so it, it, uh, operated as a private facility, but it really looked like a public clinic, mainly because we did counseling with, uh, teens that were troubled and troubling. was the quote. And, uh, uh we did that, uh, for free. So it was, it was all paid for by grants. Uh, nobody paid a fee to to go there. I, uh you know, the idea of priesthood was not, was always pretty close, and I, uh, when uh, my wife Marion and I, some not too long after we were married, I went to talk with uh, my priest, Father David Egbert, there at St. Mary's, and, and told him that I was interested in becoming a priest, and he talked with me about going to seminary, but then he asked me what kind of ministry I was interested in, and I talked with him about that, and he said, you know, that really sounds like diaconal ministry. And at the time, I didn't even know what a deacon was. I'd I'd never heard of him, and so he explained all that to me, talked about the deacon formation program in the diocese at the time, and uh, subsequently I applied did my aspirancy year and then three years of uh, deacon formation at St. Crispin's one weekend a month and then was ultimately ordained a vocational deacon and anticipated that I would always be a vocational deacon. Uh, 21 years seemed to slip by pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Father uh, Joseph also talked with me about uh, becoming a priest and I said, I just... I said no. I don't really think so. About five years after I was ordained a deacon, I I did think so, and I went to talk with Bishop Moody, and and uh, the first thing he said is, "Well, we need to you know get you examined psychologically," <laughs> which was you know just part of the process, and sent me to the uh, uh, psychology uh, clinic down in Dallas. And um, I, and through the course of the conversations there with the psychologist or the pastoral counselor, I'm not sure which, they said, why do you want to do this? And I said, um, really out of a sense of duty. And, uh, and they said, I don't quite think that's enough. I think it needs to be out of a sense of love and that had never dawned on me before <laughs> but i immediately agreed that it needed to be out of a sense of love so i went back and back home and i talked with bishop moody and i said yeah this is not a go and he was so kind to me that he said you just need to live life and live it abundantly and so i i tried doing that and, uh, so not that long after that, I, I was retired and I thought the abundance of life had something to do with woodworking and just being a deacon and, you know, and still it was like being dutiful, you know? So, um, uh, then, you know, fast forward 15 more years and, and Father Joseph said, I think you're called to the priesthood. And I really felt that that was behind me, you know, that that was kind of a life dream that would never be fulfilled because I had misunderstood it, and I hadn't interpreted that right. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he kind of kept after me, and I I just kept saying, no, that that, that was not, you know, in the cards, and wasn't going to happen. Um, so... Then Bishop McAllister died, and we had his memorial service at the cathedral, and his sons eulogized him. And I was asked to read the gospel, and so I was sitting up with the altar party, and um, his sons were eulogizing their dad. And they said, you know, uh, dad came back from World War II very broken over what he had seen and experienced there. And so he just needed some time to heal and recover, and so he bought a cattle farm in Texas. And for three years, he tended cattle and fences. And, uh, And then at one point, he came in the house one evening and told our mom that he thought he was called to the priesthood. And our mom said, well, if you think so, you know, you should go talk to the bishop. And the guy that was talking said, my brother and I didn't know how on earth this was going to work out because our dad was one of the biggest cussers we had ever known. How is he going to be a priest and still be this big cusser? And, and uh, so people laughed. And they said he did go visit the bishop. The, uh, the guy said, his son said, uh, he he said the, that the bishop's secretary reported after that that he had come uh, out of his office in kind of a daze, and the secretary said, "Bishop, are you okay?" and and the bishop said, "Yes, I'm. I'm okay." But that was the most curious mixture of profanity and divinity that I have ever heard. <laughs> so, uh, of course. Bishop McAllister went on to be a priest and be a bishop, but it was at that point when the those guys were saying that, that there was just kind of a door that opened for me, and I thought, I just remember sitting there in the cathedral thinking, if this guy could be this human and become a priest and then a bishop, then what am I waiting on, you know, that... God's not calling me to be perfect, God's just calling me to be obedient, and I think that this is part of the obedience, is just to go forward with this. So I went back, talked with Father Joseph, and said, yes, that 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 does seem to be true. So I did my a year of aspirancy, and then I did three years back out at St. Crispin's, and it was kind of weird, because I, I'm on commission on ministry, and and I was also on the board for the uh, Iona School of Formation, and um, so I had to kind of relinquish those things and become a student all over again, Uh, and my peers were very curious about what I was doing there, and they they didn't keep it a secret. They they thought maybe I was a spy for Bishop Ed or something. And you know, it, it really took me a year to kind of live all that down and just for them to accept me as a, a fellow student. But that eventually happened. So I'm now assisting at St. Augustine's and uh, uh, been a canon to the ordinary for a couple of years now. Uh, have worked with Bishop Ed on projects on a consulting basis for uh, most of the time that he's been here. And um, I'm just pleased and honored to be of service in this way.
0: I love those stories of the path to ordination because they're always so unique. But there is that resounding similarity of this has always been in my heart and a part of my DNA in some way or another. But it took, it. everyone has their path of accepting it or understanding it and i love that woodwork is like uh, bishop mcallister needed time just to go tend to cattle yeah. that's like my first move too is to go to nature when i need to heal mm-hmm. and i just need time um, but it's different for everyone um that's so beautiful
1: i used to be co-facilitator for the aspirancy program and did that for several years with hal greenwood and uh I heard story after story after story in there of people who were older who felt this call for years and years and years, and they denied it, denied it, denied it, and then they finally, you know, came. Um, I told a priest friend of mine that, that I was going to, you know, go to be a bivocational priest, and he said, God always wins. (laughs)
0: That's awesome. I love that. What do you like about working at the diocese and and are you excited for this transition? We get a new bishop soon and what what's your involvement with that?
1: Well, I do I really do enjoy working here. It's a great group of people that I get to work with and and also it's just a it's a great cause. I mean, that working for the Jesus movement, is, you know, is there a better deal than that? Yeah uh i do th- I think this is an exciting time for the diocese because uh you know while we're while I'm sad to lose Bishop Ed uh, as a bishop uh, I think that I'll maintain him as a friend but um uh I think it's an exciting time because who knows what's ahead what's what's God got in store for us and uh while it's a time of change i I also think that uh, it can be a time of continuity as well and that we're going to continue doing what we're doing. We're going to be here for uh, parishes and missions and institutions in the Diocese of Oklahoma and continue to hold them up and support them.
0: Yeah, I think that's the one thing I've really appreciated coming on staff here is the, the continuity and what seems like to be a, a seamless transition. In slow, intentional steps of making sure all of our bases are covered, like bringing on Canon and Michael and you um, for all these transitions happening, which have been great and wonderful for each individual person who's left, and just for the diocese. Like look, look how much people have grown when they've come here, and especially under Bishop Ed's leadership. But um, I, I think the intentionality and purpose behind everything is is making this. Is um, enjoyable for everyone else, and keeping that excitement about, you know, getting everyone's voice heard, wh- whether it be the uh, focus groups for the bishop search and the um, the surveys everyone could take, including everyone. It's just I feel this energy and excitement, even though, like you said, losing Bishop Ed is a bummer. But you know, he's had his time, and there's always going to be transition and move forward. Um, as folks need to go on to different phases of their lives. So um, I'm so glad your transition was priesthood and you get to come here and, and help out the church and use your life as a ministry to God's love in the world. I think that's that's what being a priest is all about. Thanks for joining us y'all be sure to sign up for the diocesan newsletter at our website epiok.org newsletter and follow us on all of our social media platforms to stay up to date on what's going on in the Episcopal Diocese of Oklahoma see y'all next week and peace be with you